Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of the latest films and insights into the craft of directing. The Director's Cut is now available on Spotify, so please take a second to subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Mimi Leader's new biographical drama on the basis of sex. Inspired by the true story of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the film weaves together her career as an attorney fighting for equal rights, her storybook romance with her husband Martin Ginsburg, and her life as a new mother. In addition to On the Basis of Sex, Ms. Leader's credits include the feature films The Peacemaker, Deep Impact, and Pay It Forward, and episodes of the series China Beach, L.A. Law, Nashville, Luck, Shameless, and The Leftovers. She is a three-time DGA Award nominee for her work on the television series ER. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theatre in Los Angeles, Ms. Leader spoke with director Sasha Gervaisi about filming on the basis of sex. During their conversation, Ms. Leader discusses balancing the classic and the contemporary, meeting the real-life Ruth Bader Ginsburg while developing the film, and the movie's coincidental connection with the documentary RBG. <laughs> well, I, I'm sure I speak for all of us. I just watched the film with you guys right then. What an emotional film. It's beautiful. I'm <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. It, I think what I particularly loved about it was it's a, a classic Hollywood film in one sense. Uh, but at the same time, super contemporary. And it feels so pertinent to what's going on now. And I was watching it actually with my wife and we were just sort of nudging each other at so many points during the film because as much as it's about a particular, a, a, a clearly a very important case in the history of this you know, struggle yes. uh, uh, regarding discrimination, it's also about a collaboration, a partnership and a marriage. And that was one aspect that I think really surprised me. This tender, fragile, beautiful relationship played so so perfectly by Felicity Jones and Army Hammer. I, how cool was that for you in terms of how you approached the film? Excuse me, I'm recovering from laryngitis, so my voice is odd. So um, I, I would say that you know the, their relationship, Marty and Ruth's relationship, was really a metaphor for the film for equal partnership. And theirs was a marriage that lasted almost 58 years. And he really truly was... Uh, ahead of his time um, as a husband, as a man who um, he did the he did the cooking and she did the thinking and he was and I mean there well, was he a, did some thinking too maybe no he was a <laughs> he was one of the preeminent tax attorneys in the country and when he died uh, in 2010 you know he used to he used to um, they used to have these Supreme Court justices wives lunches. And so he was the sole man after Sandra Day O'Connor's husband, after she stepped down. And they would cook every week and or every month. And she would, he would, they stopped cooking. The women stopped cooking. And he was the chef supreme. And they wrote a book about the Supreme Court justices' wives wrote a book, a recipe book in his honor. And one of the quotes from Jane Ginsburg was, 
daddy does the cooking, mommy does the thinking. And um, their marriage was unique, and I got a lot of insight to it from, from Justice Ginsburg. It's so beautiful. And may I also say how impeccably made the film is. It's extraordinary, actually. Uh, thank you. I just love the way the camera moves and, you know, all these things that we know you for. Your use of Steadicam is thank you you. Know, exemplary and extraordinary. Again, do you want to talk a little bit about how the film came about and how this story arrived on your lap? Oh, sure. Um, well, Robert Court, our producer, uh, and Jonathan King from Participant sent me the film, sent me the script, and... Um, I met with them, and I really wanted to do the film in instantly. I responded to it immediately. And they offered it to me, and I and they said, you have to leave the leftovers, because I was just in the beginning of starting my third season in Australia. And I said, I can't. I can't leave the leftovers. I have to finish, because that was, you know, a project that was very close to my heart. And so they said, you have to leave. And I said, I can't. So they moved on. And then about a month later, they called me in Australia. And they said, well, okay, we're going to wait for you. So I was very lucky, I think, because I really wanted to tell this story, her story. And it was extremely challenging to do so because she's a living person and such a hero to so many of us. And I didn't do a lot of thinking about that because that would have probably paralyzed me. Um, but, you know, you said the film is very contemporary, and I, I'm glad you saw that, because I really wanted the film to feel contemporary, because so much has changed in our world, and so little has changed. And I had an extraordinary group of people that I worked with, you know, production designer um, Nelson Coates and Michael Grady, our DP, E.C. Musendon, our costume designer, all great, beautiful collaborators, Vicki Thomas casting. Um, so it was, we really wanted to make it feel like it was a period film. We had two different periods, the 50s and 70s, and we really wanted the color palette to be what you saw. Ruth's favorite color was blue, and I wanted to stay in that world with Ruth. And... Um, you know, in choosing how to shoot this film, it was very interesting. You know, because I do shoot a lot of handheld and I shoot a lot of muscular stuff. And I really wanted it to have a classic feel, but I wanted it to feel contemporary. And it, it just, you know, the script spoke to me. And Well, I mean, it's about something. And it's about something I know all of us can relate to. This tipping point that we're in right now, which is we're past it. The patriarchal society shifting you know, people without who have previously had no voice or less of a voice coming to the fore. We're listening and we're hearing. And I think this film is really part of that. It's fantastically alive. And it just really hit me in a way I wasn't quite expecting. The amount of times I nudged my wife during the film was really <laughs> short. Sorry about that. Um, because it really does feel very real. And I think that everyone can relate. You really feel for not just for for Ruth, but you also feel for Marty. And as you say, he's an example of a, a much more evolved kind of um, person who doesn't really differentiate on the basis of sex in the yes. way that society does. And those kind of villainous characters, you know, which I know had to yeah. be drawn specifically for the film. But it's a very real thing that we do experience. And I think this film is really helping to shed, shine a light on this thing that's still going on. Do you feel, or did you feel when you read the script that there was something important that it was saying that you obviously, 
as a woman in film with your incredible career um, could relate, I'm sure, to quite a few of these. Yeah, well, everything you said, yes. And I, you know, I related to the film. I felt a lot of commonalities in um, with Justice Ginsburg and certainly not in my accomplishments, but, you know, in just being someone who's a Jewish woman uh, who's been in a long standing marriage for 32 years and um, having to, having had a lot of doors slammed in my face and breaking the glass ceiling in my way and, and you know, saw change because of it because I've been doing this for quite a long time. And um, I just felt a lot of commonalities and I really th- understood her. And, and then it was so intimidating when I met her because yeah, how was she's that? this <laughs> little thing, uh, this little woman. What, did you have questions? I mean, what oh, was yeah. it like? What was it we like? went out on our first date, and um, it was really, <laughs> it was really fun. And you know, we had some wine and had a really nice meal. And it, it really was, it was really hard because you have all these questions you want to ask, like, how did you know Marty was the one? And you're asking someone you, you know, Supreme Court Justice, this icon, these very personal questions. And she said something like. And she's very intimidating. You know, she really thinks about what she says before she says it. And so it puts you in this position of, oh, if that's too personal, you don't have to answer that question. But no, she answered the question. She said, you know, as I dated Marty, she they dated for two years um, before they married. And she was dating this other guy. And she said he was a real idiot and that he... Um, wasn't smart. And, the guy and, who wasn't good at charades. That's right. And so, you know, but how could I not marry Marty? He was brilliant. He was he was the one. And so out of that dinner came the charade scene, which wasn't in the movie. And um, so little things like that um, crept into the film from, from speaking with her. And you felt it was also such a wonderful mother-daughter dynamic, I thought. that Those scenes were r- really landed well. I know you have Thank a you. daughter, too. I certainly do. Because <laughs> I felt a lot of you in the film. I mean, this felt like a very personal film. Yes, it was, it was very personal. And I felt it was really important to shape Jane's character as someone that she sees as, 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 as someone who is changing the culture, as, you know, the professor and the in the um, early part of the film says, you know, it's the culture that's, that is changing. And that became her whole, um, you know, her whole through line for the, for the case that the culture had changed and the laws were outdated. And there, her daughter, it was very important for us to see Jane as this character of change and evolution. And all of the characters, including Jane and those Supreme Court justices, how exquisitely cast were they? I mean, they were. I felt they were actually. I just didn't. I feel. I felt they weren't actors, which is always the biggest compliment. Oh, the judges. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were great. One is my husband. Really? <laughs> yeah. Where is he? Yeah. Is he here? He's home. Okay. Oh, he's <laughs> after that. Yeah. Yeah. But wow, they were. They were just fantastic. Um, yeah. I was going to say, in terms of the process, when you put the film together, obviously, I can. You, we sense as an audience the layers that went into this. You know, not just the casting, but also you mentioned the look, and I mean, it's so exquisitely done. How much prep time did you have, and and did, was it something that was ongoing for a long time until? Yeah. Well, I, I worked on the script with Daniel and Robert for almost a year. You know, just getting the the characters more authentic, more grounded. 
you know, the one aspect of the script that Justice Ginsburg was really a stickler on was the law. She, the law had to be correct, had to be precise. And, um, um, excuse me, um, I lost my train of thought. Well, don't, don't worry. I was going to say just something generally about you and your unbelievable career. For those in the audience who don't know, Mimi is a pioneer. <laughs> really, in terms of being a producer and a director and a woman with, with an unbelievably long career. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Because you did pioneering, pioneering work on um, many things like ER. And also some of the stuff you mentioned on The Leftovers is incredible, Thank those you. episodes that you directed. So you've gone between television and features. Yeah. I know that Steven Spielberg was a big part of, you know, the beginning of your features career. Yes. And have there been, you know, helping hands like that along the way that, that have really... Well, it's so interesting. You know, he did hire me to direct the first DreamWorks feature. And it's mostly been men who have led me along, who've given me great work. I, Sherry Lansing is the only woman who's ever hired me in my career. It's true. Well, she's great. We know that. But I, I think I wanted to say that you asked about the prep. We prepped the film for about eight weeks. We shot it in Montreal and one day in D.C., and we shot it in 34 days. Wow. So it was shot very quickly, um, a, high, a high budget for an indie, you know, but um, all hands on deck. It was everybody who wanted, who worked in that film wanted to, work on that film. Well, you can tell. Work on the, everyone was very passionate. And we, we tried to be... We, we never wanted to do a documentary or, you know, never wanted to do it an imitation, but just wanted to find the essence of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and who she was as this truth seeker, who she was as this person who changed uh, the culture and uh, changed the world and, you know, with this landmark case changed 178 different laws that were unconstitutional on the basis of sex. It's She's a remarkable it's a, woman. Well, when you see in the film, you see her balancing all these incredibly difficult things, one thing alone, being a parent, you know, yeah. being a wife. But the legal career is astonishing. Yes. And you just think, my God, women really do have a much greater capacity to do stuff in life. I mean, that's, <laughs> what, I, that's what I got from the film. I wanted to, to just also talk something technically about the film, because I know a lot of the time you will shoot with three cameras. Yes. But I think I read somewhere that in this case, you wanted mainly to use two because of the way the film was lit. And I wanted to talk a little bit yeah. about why that was, how this was different and why it was different. Well, I did shoot a lot with three cameras but I, I told Michael Grady, our DP, that I wanted uh, Felicity to look remarkable and beautiful and, and really, you know, show her at 23, show her at 36. And I wanted her lit, we wanted her to be lit a certain way. And so, you know, I want to put my three cameras. No, you can't use your three cameras because you'd ruin the, the look of the lighting. So I did use a lot of two cameras. And, and talking about Felicity and, and that relationship and working with your, with your actors, can you talk a little bit with us about what that process is like? I've read that you don't necessarily like to rehearse because you might lose some spontaneity. How do you work with the actors? Do you have thematic conversations? or Yes. How does it work? Yeah, we, we sit down and I, I write their whole, you know, bio of who they are, you know, and I work very closely with the writer and and very much, you know, build my characters before I talk to anybody. And then we sit down and thematically talk about the characters. I do sit down with the actors and read through the scenes. And we talk about it. And we talk about the intent and, you know, what each character wants. And 
how they're going to get it. And, but I don't like to set anything in rehearsal because then it becomes something we're aiming for that maybe we can't find again. And I like when we hit the floor for the actors to feel completely open and I want them to explore as much as they can, you know, who the, you know, the scene. Well, you got brilliant performances across the board. What would you say for all the young aspiring directors and filmmakers out there, and there are some in the audience today, what to you is the key working with actors to, to try and create an atmosphere in which you're getting the best performance? Yeah, well, I would study acting, number one, and, you know, really understand what an actor goes through. And But there's many different kinds of actors. You know, there are actors who um, are, th- you know, three takes and done. You know, they kind of, that's all they have or that's all they're going to give you or that's all there is. And then there's actors who want, you know, to keep exploring. And you really have to weigh that out when you're directing them, how not to wear out the other actor, you know, how to get the best out of both both of them. And so I would just, I would, um, I would, I would actually look to the theater, to, you know, theater acting and, you know, Harold Clerman was a very great book. I think he wrote on acting. And I think that's a very great book for young directors. And Well, it was amazing. And what's interesting, because I know that a lot of the actors in your film, they don't necessarily have the same method of acting. And and the real trick is to get all the actors to feel like they're in the same movie. And in this case, they're in the same movie. So there's a lot of work. There's a lot of work for you to try and calibrate and equalize that. Well, yeah. I mean, Felicity did, you know, listen to hundreds and hundreds of hours of recordings. And, you know, like I said, we weren't doing a documentary and or an imitation. And, you know, there are no early recordings of Ruth Bader Ginsburg's voice, only, you know, from her Supreme Court days, her, her six Supreme Court cases she tried, and, excuse me, and the, um, obviously, her swearing in in 1993. So, you know, how does a 30, 23-year-old woman sound, how does a 36-year-old woman sound compared to, you know, when she was sworn in, um, and how does an 85-year-old woman's voice sound? So, you know, we we went for a mid-Atlantic, and um, and the justice loved her accent. You know that she she loved her performance. After I showed her the film, she she said she thought it was magnificent, and she thought that no one could play her as better than, as better than Felicity Jones. And that was quite a quite a statement and an honor. You know, because she's a British actress. Right. And I was going to ask you, what what was that like for you, showing the Supreme Justice the film? Well, I showed her this, the film, in D.C. in this really funky little theater. It was a landmark theater, but it was oddly shaped. And so I was terrified and out of my mind, uh, freaked out that I had to show it to her. And, and Were you watching her as this was Oh, going? yeah. <laughs> and so I, you know, I positioned her seat, gave her a name card, and her family, she brought her entire family, all her interns, all her law clerks, and I was like, I was like, I, I almost left. But, um, and then I positioned myself so I could watch everything she, all her reactions. And I could see her laugh. I could see her cry. I could see her, just her movements. And, and then she gave me a big kiss and she was overwhelmed. She loved it. I mean, one of the things she said was that it was a joyous, joyous film. 
and that we got her work in the women's movement, in the women's rights movement, right. She's very proud of it. And that was very, that's all I, I think anyone needs. Um, I can't imagine anything more satisfying than that. Yeah. Than your subject feeling the film in the way that you intended it. Yeah. And I had to not really think about that I was making a film about a living icon that, you know, is is so known. I mean, I don't know, you know, I think when the doc, I don't think, I mean, obviously people know who she, who she is, but not until, you know, the RBG, notorious RBG came out, did we really start to see her as this cult figure. And then when the doc came out, which is incredible, excuse me, people really began to understand who she was. But going into the script, going into the movie, the doc wasn't finished and they had asked us to be in the dock. It just all didn't work out. But point it's, is, it's good to have the separation. It was, actually, it was yeah. good to have that separation, and I had not seen it. And what was really interesting was um, our editor, great editor Michelle Tesoro. Um, you know, the scene at the end where she walks up the steps—that wasn't in the script. The script was, you know, she had won the case, and in the appeals court in Tenth Circuit. And then she's sitting in the Supreme Court listening to her words being spoken by Alan Deere. And um, Marty turns to her and says something like, those are your words. And I was like, this is the biggest downer. This is the worst ending ever. And and, um, so my DP and I were standing in front of the Supreme Court steps. And we were standing there also to decide what format we're going to do the film in. And we decided to do it in 185 because the Supreme Court is so high. And doing it in a 235 format just wouldn't have, it would just not have worked for, I think, the film. So anyway, I, I was standing there and I, I had, you know, the opening was a very, you know, big deal for me, um, showing her in the sea of men. And I wanted to bookend the film with, you know, the young Ruth and where Ruth has gone to, how she has ascended to the Supreme Court. And I wanted our our young Felicity to our young Ruth to morph into RBG. <clears throat> so I pitched it to our producers and some of them were a little skeptical. I said, I swear to God, it's gotta work. It's gonna be great. And so I uh, wrote a letter to the justice and she said yes. And I was like, oh my God. Now it's happening. Well, it's such an effective moment. Not only is Thank it you. just very poetic visually, but it's also when you see the real person. Of course, whenever that happens, it really lands the reality and the truth of the story that's been told. Yes. It's- Thank you. And what I was going to say is my editor, you know, put it together and we'd all been, we. she put the words of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court, um, her six cases, sayings, you know, from from those cases under the walk. And when I saw, obviously I'd locked the picture before I'd seen the documentary. Then I saw the documentary and it was exactly how the documentary had started, you know, get their feet off our necks. And I just thought it was, oh God, it was, I just thought it was meant to be. Well, it does have you know, the film. sister, like a sister film. The film has that feeling about it. It's meant to be. And I just want to say it's a beautiful, brave and emotional film, Mimi. And all around me, people were just very feeling it and they were laughing and they, you know, and to do that about a subject matter as important as this, 
at a time like this is really something. And I think I speak on behalf of all of us when I say thank you for making the film. Wow. It's a wonderful, thank wonderful, you so wonderful much. Thank you. Wow. It means a lot to me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. If you'd like to hear more, you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll have a lot more for you in the coming weeks as award season continues, including Q&As from directors Peter Hedges, Adam McKay, and Anne Fletcher, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying our podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.